You like Rashomon? That's not how I remember it. Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. We begin our September trilogy with a dang classic. You know, I started this whole journey with you with Harvey, something from the 1950s, and I was like, this is a way for us to really reach back and look at the classics. The older films are generally the classics, and... I am intimidated every single time, and I think this is the most intimidating of the films, 1950s Rashomon by Akira Kurosawa, who is just beloved. I don't know any cinephile who has that hot take where, you know what, he's not that good. Seven Samurai's not that good. Now, you can find individuals who are like, well, that specific film isn't very good, or they might not like Throne of Blood or whatever, but generally... You don't find somebody who doesn't enjoy at least one of the works of the guy. And I think Rashomon is one of his more intellectual works. It's not as entertaining. There you go. We found the, we found the guy. He just said, <laughs> no! how do you find any of these people? And then in his next breath, you know what's kind of boring? <laughs> <laughs> this Kurosawa film. <laughs> yeah. The film isn't Barbershop. You know, it's not just... A... <laughs> Though I wish it was. <laughs> Same premise, just set in a barbershop, <laughs> not in the forest. <laughs> oh, shit, why didn't we use that for our last month's movie? <laughs> no, like, it, it's not going to be a film that you're watching and enjoying on that <laughs> very instinct, instinctual level. But Rashomon is just, it is the ultimate brand muffin. Like, you get your body and your oh mind. Oh, God. <laughs> Like, I have like two minutes on my side since this call has started. (laughs) It's not entertaining. It's the brand muffin (laughs) of cinema. (laughs) This is why uh, we just do Tarantino movies around here. (laughs) 92 and up. That's it. That's all we can be trusted with. I respect Rashomon so much. and, And every time I do watch it, I always find something new. I know it's kind of a cliche to say that, but there's always something interesting to be found deep within the structure and and the narrative of this film. And it really plays its cards close to the chest, uh, ultimately, because you don't know whether the story that you're going to be told has any kind of ambiguity in it until after you hear uh, Toshir Mifune, the bandit's point of view. Because at that point, everything is fairly linear. It's only until the wife gets up on, I I guess, the stand of the courtroom and is addressing... What a courtroom, by the way. Oh, fantastic. Somewhere, what is this? I I love this system. So... Plenty Scenic. of fresh air. That, yeah. That's how people get acquitted, baby. <laughs> Everyone's in a good mood. You're not going to have uh, you know, George C. Scott or, or Cobb from last month's uh, trilogy freaking out. If he's if you got the ocean behind him while you're you know, discussing this, yeah. You know, I should call my son. I should give him a call <laughs> and see what's up. That's how that movie would have ended. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you somewhat. I watched this as a teenager and loved it. I don't know if this is one that you can come to uh, late because I think I, d- I do think that it's too intellectual. It's it's fingerprints on cinema, I think, are too great yeah. where it's, you know, the Rashomon effect that it's hard to approach it as a obviously, you know, our age and even generations before as a Johnny come lately to this. I'm assuming if you're watching this, that you sought it out because of its impact on, on movies. So it's hard to disconnect from that. Strangely, I I was able to do that with Citizen Kane and I don't really know why (laughs) I'm not going to be like you and be like, I guess that means Orson Welles is just better than because (laughs) I can watch that as a movie. Um, But I fear, I fear for the, these type of classics. And I think, I agree with you. That's why we don't tend to go this direction as often as we maybe initially thought, because it feels like we're podcasting in a graveyard in a way. It's like we can't play. There has to be a certain amount of respect, uh, which you just threw out the window with your brand muffin uh, quick letterbox <laughs> entry. But I will say that knowing what even this term means uh, when it comes to film that there were stretches where I I don't know what I'm wanting from this movie. I know that you're going to get different perspectives and it's going to be hard to distill like what the truth is or if everyone's giving you some element of the truth. And so there isn't a like it almost removes the sort of who done it aspect of it because it feels like we do have the basics of what happened. Maybe we don't have everyone's motives down exactly but i don't know if i necessarily care i will say the thing that always stands out to me and still got me this time is the samurais portion of it where you have the the medium telling his story i love that shit and i don't don't know if it's because we're going we're kind of going a little bit farther off into the deep end as far as like i just love the fact that we have a a medium like all right get in the the dead guy bring in his story and you're like what it's like yeah this person's gonna tell it I, I like that. I, I feel like that one, that section of it is the most honest about not being objective. That's like, you know, we're speaking into like an, another dimension. And I, I, that, that's the part that always grabs me. Um, I, I have to say that the bandits segment, and it is the first one. It's the initial story. I guess you're getting not that into it and not, not into this, uh, this version of the, the Joker we have here. I'm not, not into his laughing, um, definitely not into the sword play. That was my letterbox review. I left web. I said, <laughs> this isn't exactly duel of the fates. Kurosawa. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's exactly. As I was watching it. That's exactly what I thought of. I was like, people always talk about duel of the fate as, as this like grand sword fighting. And, and this is kind of what it really is. Like I, I thought that, yeah, a lot of falling yeah. down, a lot of you know digging through the dirt and mud, looking for your weapon, you know, lunging, you know, desperately at the other one. Um, it is, it is entertaining in in that respect. The fact that it's sort of demystifying uh, this like tragic event in a way, and probably the aspect of it that I love the most is it's it seems like such a smart ass movie in that regard. It's so bitter and sort of sarcastic about <laughs> humans on this plane. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm interested. Did you do any reading as far as how it was initially received? I'm pretty sure it was immediately like critically well regarded, but I don't know, especially you know, a foreign film in the early '50s, uh, if it got 
too much love or was it something that came about 20 years later in, in America that, you know, filmmakers were sort of pushing it up to film students? I, it won um, awards at like the Venice Film Festival and stuff like immediately uh, after it came out. And I think as with most of Kurosawa's work, it was like received OK and well enough in his home country. And then overseas, everyone uh, lauds it uh, almost immediately. So he always found more uh, critical acclaim overseas. Released on December 26th, a year later in the U.S. What a... And Christmas weekend, you can have Rashomon. <laughs> right. Stress over the relativity of your reality. <laughs> by, yeah, exactly. During this time of year. Uh, a couple of things that you touched upon, I agree with you, is it the telling the story through the medium, an excellent stroke of it, brilliance. And I first watched this film with my buddy Matt, who did our theme music. And one of the things that he mentioned about it and and with a general comment about films in general is that it's okay for a film to get into the supernatural uh, anytime it wants as long as the rules of the film feel established in some way. And in Rashomon, while it's not explicitly told, but there is a moment where even the uh, the, the homeless individual who is waiting in the rain hearing the story he's like wait a minute what do you mean the dead man told his story he's like oh it was told through a medium he's like oh okay and <laughs> the, the fact that it's accepted like that makes it really feel like yes of course this is all plausible within this a story in feudal japan and so i really like that touch as well very interesting and it takes me back to a bit that george carlin used to say uh, about abortion and about some of these really uh very conservative and controversial topics. It's like, well, you know, what would Jesus or Mussolini or JFK think about all this? Who cares? They're fucking dead. They don't give a shit about any of this. And it's funny to me that the dead individual here is very invested in how he's going to be portrayed yeah. and how he's going to be yeah, looked at. And so it was very funny because I started making certain connections that I normally wouldn't. Like I said, every time I watch this one, and I do watch it, and, and before Rashomon, uh, there were films that were using the unreliable narrator as you mentioned citizen kane came before rashomon and it did the unreliable narrator granted rashomon was the first one to kind of take the same event and look at it over and over and over i think we get like four or five different versions of this uh story told uh through the different individuals and again some of them are just like oh i just i was just there for this part because i think the priest was just there as he watched the samurai and the wife kind of walking down. And he kind of confirmed that, yes, he was wearing that hat. Um, I will say, one of the things that I always remark and am leaving any Kurosawa film is just how good he is at what he does. And what he does is very nice. Oh, my Wolverine <laughs> fans will appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> Um, he, he is, a, he was a fan of silent cinema. So, uh, he employed the show. Don't tell stuff really, really well. The entire woodcutters, uh, aspect of the story right in the beginning, even though he doesn't tell everything, uh, him walking through the forest, coming across the body, all told without any dialogue. Uh, the very, I, I think, um, revolutionary shots of, uh, filming the, sun right away like that was also uh, incredibly important and it's a great transition too you're in uh, the middle of this rainstorm and all of a sudden hard cut and you're over uh, into a completely dry and uh, clearly everybody's sweating 
Um, and so go, foreshadowing kind of like the haziness and then the difficult narrative into something that's completely clear. Uh, Kurosawa just playing with us. The bandit, the first time the bandit sees the wife and the samurai is told completely through uh, no dialogue, all visuals. And it's filmed very linearly. Uh, you're going from left to right and you can see in his face the desire of this woman and him formulating what he's going to be doing. The emotions are being formed Literally in a matter of seconds. And it's funny because the the film has a bunch of these really concise uh, and, and simple shots. And it's juxtaposed with a narrative that's all over the place. Uh, Kurosawa loves geometric composition. This is a, something that's been talked about uh, throughout his career where he places the individuals. And this is ultimately not a love triangle, but a triangle of sorts. You've got three main individuals, the bandit, the samurai, and the wife. And there are scenes where each of them are placed and... The staging of each actor is really, really important and fun. And sometimes he breaks it off. And there's a wonderful scene where he's showing the triangle and then he breaks off and shows two individuals at a time as they look at each other. Almost kind of like a a Mexican standoff. Really, really good stuff here. So that's what I'm talking about when I say brand muffin. Like Kurosawa <laughs> gives you so much to digest in terms of the language of cinema. And and when you want something like that, there's no better master, I feel. I saw there was a review from uh, another uh, podcaster that popped up in my letterbox that maybe echoes in a more critical way what you're saying as far as I, – I believe she was coming to this for the first time. I should enjoy this more, but I don't. And it was primarily the, the thoughts were about – uh, the sort of intellectual aspect of the film and the, the philosophies where it almost invites you to disengage with the movie in a way and start internalizing and thinking. And she talked about sort of drifting away. Like, oh shit, I'm not paying attention <laughs> to what's going on, which is both a compliment to the film as far as saying like it's, you know, it's meaty subject matter. But also I could see where someone could say like, well, these are interesting ideas, but at a certain point, I like I don't really care because it's not the 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 victims here. Um, I mean, we do have a woman who's sexually assaulted. Uh, we have a man who is killed. I, I think it's interesting that we know nothing really about them except what is revealed through these contradictory stories, and so they are blank slates. They're just stand-ins for like a crime has happened to these strangers to these people and so he doesn't leave you any wiggle room like we talked about last month with you know the 10 cloverfield lane which i think sits on the same shelf as rashomon for for sure you know you go down maybe it's a, a few removed uh where there's a stern hand as far as saying like yeah maybe john goodman has a point but he's an asshole um and clearly he's an asshole so i'm going against him all of these characters throughout the stories, I would say whether it's their their version of the events or not, none of them ever come off that great, both the, the bandits and the, the victims of this crime. And it's interesting, like, so I was asking you earlier, like, you know, what was the critical response? And it seems like the dumb Americans, like, really latched onto this thing <laughs> immediately, but not so much within... Uh, the Japanese film industry. It was not something seen as, uh, I guess, being appropriately uh, Japan enough. And I, I don't know if that's... 
I feel like maybe new film fans have kind of fallen into that trap now. Like we talked about in our Hateful Eight episode uh, last month that to present a character who has despicable worldviews from you, the expectation is, well, they better be a villain because I don't want to, I don't want to go with them like on, on this quest, whatever this particular film's plot is. I don't want to be with them for the entirety of the runtime. They can be, they can make a cameo, but they better get their comeuppance. And I feel like we've, fallen back into that trap uh with the, with the younger generations do you feel that way at all that we're going to get less uh less shades of gray and our film characters going forward you know paul schrader actually mentioned uh this slightly in uh, an interview he did uh while promoting the card counter film which you said you had the... you had no interest in it. i told you yeah i'm really excited to go see that this weekend you're like no i I Paul will. Schrader, I will. good enough for streaming. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I've got a kid at home, and I can't just go out and watch a movie. I, I apologize I abandoned for that. you, child, for the card counter. You'll understand when you're of age. <laughs> right. I will watch it. I just can't uh, go out to the theaters. It'll be on uh, Peacock soon, I'm sure. <laughs> 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 right play the one streaming service that i'm not subscribed i subscribe to britbox now to watch my bbc shows but i can't do peacock so uh he was asked about martin scorsese's comments with the marvel movies and how they're not cinema and he was like no of course it's cinema it's all cinema the cat playing the keyboards on youtube is cinema damn which right i yeah i'm a hundred percent right there on his uh on his side there but he said that the bottom has kind of fell out ultimately. Like the films with the uh, gray morality, they're still there. They're just not in the spotlight and they're kind of on the circle. The mainstream is where you have the good versus evil, the very generic stuff. Like the the Marvel movies are a perfect example of them. Even though, you know, you've got Civil War and a few interesting topics. Black Panther is another one where you you can have something to talk about that's not just good guy versus bad I'm guy. I'm looking at my Blu-ray shelf right now. Rashomon, Civil War, Ten Cloverfield Lane, same same. Like <laughs> on that shelf, <laughs> that's my morality Perfect. section. <laughs> you literally put them on the same level, <laughs> and I think kind of to build upon what you mentioned in terms of the point of view, I think the audience is meant to be the priest. That is where we're getting, because that's also kind of where Kurosawa is looking at these events. He's not really trying to justify which of the three major characters is either right or worth rooting for or empathizing with. It's more that the world is just so bleak and you are going to have and come across individuals who will lie for their own benefit. But ultimately, is that worth staying in despair and ultimately the priest decides like no it's not because you have the woodcutter who cops to you know ultimately what he did and he's ultimately takes that child so i think that's where you're supposed to come at this film with not not so much like who to root for nope, but nope, as nope. an examination <laughs> i just in this little bit uh this section where you you've taken the mic from me and you've explained to me that you can't go see Paul Schrader's The Card Counter because you have a child. I refute this lesson at the end of Rashomon that accepting <laughs> <laughs> an orphan child <laughs> is in service to humanity. It's not in service to the theatrical film-going business, I'll tell you that. So no, I reject this notion. <laughs> not at all. I do have one thing that I definitely wanted to mention, 
I'm going to mention it by asking you a question. Were you ever confused by any of the narrative throughout this film? Hmm. No, I don't, I don't think so. Okay, good. But you do admit that the structure is more complex than a normal film. Yes. Okay, so once we establish those two things, I think it's critical that when you are constructing a film like this, writing something like this, you can do one of two things. And this isn't a hard and fast rule, but in my experience, I've noticed that you can either have a complicated story but tell it in a linear or a simplistic fashion, or you can have a simple story and construct it very elaborately. Uh, though <laughs> the example I'm going to go with, the two examples are Memento and Tenet. I knew <laughs> there was going to be an attack on Christopher Nolan because I was... Well, hold on a second. It, it, first, it. it's, first it's adulation. I think Memento is... A... <laughs> <laughs> I think... Yes, <laughs> I think Memento <laughs> is a very simple story, but told in a complicated manner and told very interestingly. So while you might be lost initially, you gel with how the story is being told. And by the end of it, you do want to go back and rewatch it to fill in some of those gaps. But ultimately, it's a very rewarding experience. When you go into something like Tenet, where it's told in a very complicated manner... And the plot in and of itself is very complicated to the point where the, the, the key aspect is not even explained. How uh, you have reverse entropy on certain objects. Or even a character is like, don't try to ex understand it. Just try to feel it. Shut up. Like that was, <laughs> I was so lost in Tenet in, in multiple regards. And so Did I, you watch I think it in that's theaters one of the... Or wait for video i know it came out uh, during you know pandemic times and was the the first one but um i i will admit that i had less issues with it although uh there was a little bit of the the homer simpson on the couch watching twin peaks with me and my wife as far as like i have no <laughs> idea what's going on uh the main thing i was forewarned about i guess from the the people who braved uh covid19 and you know almost a year ago labor day 2020 for tenant uh, was the of course the fucking audio mix as usual with them, and so I watched it proudly with subtitles and you know found it at the very least I could understand what they were presenting to me uh, from through <laughs> through the uh, script. Uh, still lost as you put out there. I'm I'm glad you brought Memento because it it reminded me of that because I was reading here I've got in front of me that apparently the actors would go and ask uh, Kurosawa like yeah 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 I know what you're doing here like you know we got you buddy. But as an actor for my performance, I need to know like the the truth. Like, is my my character lying or is he sp telling the truth? Like, what? How how should I play this? Should I play this as someone who is trying to deceive or not? And he's like, that doesn't matter. And <laughs> I could see it being frustrating. And I remember Guy Pierce had a similar approach to Christopher Nolan with Memento, where he wanted he wanted the script like he wanted everything presented chronologically like just for himself which is actually kind of backwards because his character shouldn't be experiencing any of that his character shouldn't know any of it chronologically but he he was saying he needed to know i guess standing outside of the 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 part that this was actually working as a movie. I don't know if there was a distrust and like <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be any good. <laughs> which, you know, at the time Christopher Nolan was not savior of the the theatrical uh business he was a guy coming off of following i believe was the only other film prior to that 
so I understand uh, handsome, beautiful guy Pierce being like, hey, dork, I need to know this is going to, like, this is not going to make me look silly. Um, Kurosawa, I think, probably had more of a point uh, as far as um, would that have affected the performances? Would that have affected the film if one one of your actors knows that he's telling the truth or she uh, or she is lying uh, in that scene? I, I, I see his viewpoint in that regard. Yes, I think it would have definitely affected the performance and the film because truth and lie, they're kind of interchangeable because of perspective. And that's what the film is about. It's like it is your truth or it's your lie. And that's not to be confused with fact and fiction. I don't want you to think in these times and in you know the past few years, the concept of alternative facts came up, which just made me want to pull out the rest of my already thinning hair. It's not really about what is the truth for a certain character. It's like, it's all truth and it's all lies. I think to play it ambiguously is the way to go because ultimately that's, that's the entire point of the film is the is relativity of uh, the individual's reality, which is a phrase that I picked up from Donald Ritchie, who uh, is a historian on Japanese cinema and who did the commentary for Rashomon, which I did go through. I did a little bit of homework for this. Were you up at 4am doing all these commentaries? I was up at 4 a.m. actually, but I was actually, but I was doing something else. Like I, I, man, my kid, my kid got up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. to like go from her room to our room because that's her new thing now. Is like she'll sleep half the night there and then half the night with us. And I'm just like, ugh. And then I got up and I was like, you know what? I got to do this recording with you. Let me just be up. I got myself some coffee and I started doing some homework. It all worked out. It all worked out. I'm I'm very happy that I did it though because, again, it's like I'm. I always need to make sure that my film diet includes stuff like Rashomon, because like I and and the commentaries and the, the brand special muffin. features. <laughs> my to... brand muffin. That's exactly. I I, <laughs> I can't I can't be excited about the barbershop trilogy. You know, <laughs> every day I just can't. <laughs>